Good morning, Living Spring. We miss seeing you in the sanctuary, but we are grateful that we can still be together online during these uncertain times. As you know, we are in the middle of a sermon series called An Unhurried Life. And today I'm excited to preach about a topic that has been really important in my life, and that is the practice of Sabbath keeping. Please join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts to receive God's word. God, we thank you that whether we're in our car listening, whether we're at home with our family, God, we thank you that you are with us and that you long to bring us your peace and your rest. I pray, Lord, that you would remove any scales from our eyes this morning and help us to receive the gift of Sabbath that you have for us. Amen. I'm going to start us off with a simple question. What are some of the best gifts that you have ever received from God? Excluding salvation and forgiveness. Maybe it's purpose in your life. Maybe it's a spouse or a family member or a child, or a special healing you received from God. Maybe it's wisdom or a talent that you have. I don't know what gifts that you thought of, but for me, Sabbath has been one of the most beautiful and abundant gifts that I have received from God. I've come to discover over the past 10 years that Sabbath is a gift from God that brings freedom and delight. I'll say it one more time. Sabbath is a gift from God that brings freedom and delight. However, I did not always view Sabbath this way. And to clarify, Sabbath is God's commandment to work six days and rest on the seventh day. But I did not always view it as a gift from God. In my high school youth group, I remember we studied the Ten Commandments, but we barely glossed over the Fourth Commandment about Sabbath. It seemed like it was one of those Bible things that we read about, but we just kind of forget about and decide we're not going to practice that today. And as a high school overachiever, I could not even imagine taking one whole day to rest. I couldn't imagine not studying for classes, not doing homework, not playing sports, um, not doing something. I just always was doing something. And I have a distinct memory on the way back from that sermon. I was sitting in my car, parents were driving, I was too young to drive, and I just thought, you know what, can't do it, can't do that Sabbath thing, it's not gonna happen. And I was a very faithful young person, so this was intense that I didn't wanna practice the Sabbath. But the whole concept of taking an entire day to rest and to cease work was foreign to me. And I thought it was irrelevant when I had so many important things to do for God and to do for other people. How about you all? What associations do you have with the practice of Sabbath? Maybe you associate Sabbath with legalism and people who are super strict about rules and they want everything closed down on Sundays. Maybe, like I did, you think Sabbath 
is an outdated practice not relevant for our culture or our economy. Maybe you associate Sabbath with the Pharisees who are always waiting to see what Jesus would do and to pounce on him if he was healing or doing good things on the Sabbath. Or hopefully, for some of you, this is an important part of your walk with God that you couldn't imagine living without. And finally, maybe your only association with the Sabbath is that Chick-fil-A, unfortunately, is closed on Sundays. Wherever you're at this morning, let's all be open to what God might be showing us about this often neglected and misunderstood practice. And whether you're a workaholic, an activist, a tired parent or grandparent, an overachiever like I was, still a, a speed addict, someone who can't slow down no matter how hard you try, someone who yearns for Jesus' yoke that is easy and light. Wherever you're at, I want you to know that God's gift of Sabbath is for everyone. Let's start with the Bible. We'll do a quick biblical definition of Sabbath. I invite you to turn in your Bible to Exodus 20 and the account of the Ten Commandments given to Moses on Mount Sinai. My professor used to say that the Sabbath commandment has the most airtime of all the commandments because it's the longest paragraph if you look at it in your Bible. It is the fourth commandment and it acts as a bridge between the commandments about loving and honoring God and the commandments about loving your neighbor. Pay close attention to what you notice as I read verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Wow. Through this text we see that we are called to practice the Sabbath because God does. We worship a God who created the entire universe in six days, said that it was good, and rested on the seventh day. We are created in the image of a resting God and called to imitate him in his rhythm of working and resting. We are reminded in verse 11 that the Sabbath is the first thing called holy in the Bible. Did you guys know that? I never knew that. One Jewish conception of the Sabbath is of a queen or a bride. And this is their way of highlighting the beauty, the holiness, the specialness of this day. What do you think about that? Can you imagine every Saturday or Sunday rolls around and you call it Queen Sabbath um, because you revere it that much? Can you imagine what it would be like to honor the Sabbath in that way? 
God is inviting the Israelites to see that the Sabbath is not like I thought in high school. <laughs> Some marginal, optional practice that we can just avoid and do later. But it's of the utmost importance to God and a part of his very nature. This commandment reminds us that we are called to set aside one in every six days as holy. And we're doing this not so we can be more productive or more efficient, or even not even just to have better self-care, but we're doing this all unto God for his glory. Finally, we also see in the text that Sabbath is not just for the rich or the elite, those who already have leisure time to spare. Instead, God desires a world where all people, rich or poor, whatever their circumstances, God desires a world where they could practice Sabbath too. What would it look like for you to set aside a day as holy unto God? Would that be hard? Would that be easy for you? Is it something you're already doing? Something it's hard for you to imagine? We'll get into more specifics about what that could look like a little later. Next, we're gonna rewind all the way back to the beginning of the Exodus narrative, where God's special relationship with the Israelites begins. Walter Brueggemann, one of my favorite theologians, helps me think about the Exodus story in terms of Sabbath. He emphasizes the contrast between Pharaoh's way of doing things and Yahweh's way of doing things. In case you aren't familiar with the story, God hears the cries of the Israelites in Egypt who are slaves under Pharaoh, and he says, and he does, that he will deliver them with a mighty and outstretched arm. And he turns out to be a very different type of God than Pharaoh. In Exodus chapter five, we see exactly how Pharaoh operates. I'm gonna highlight a few verses. So the text says, the same day Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working. And then in verse 17, Pharaoh says, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. So we can see that Pharaoh is always demanding more. More straw, more bricks, more hours, higher quotas, more labor, more sweat, more toil, more blood, more tears. Pharaoh is hardcore. With Pharaoh, labor and the demand for bricks never ends. Pharaoh is a, a ruthless and relentless taskmaster who shows no mercy. Have you ever had a boss like this? Maybe not as intense as Pharaoh. Or has your inner critic ever been like this? 
an inner or external critic that never lets up and is always asking for more straw, more bricks than yesterday. A voice that calls you lazy if you don't measure up, if you can't keep going at their frenetic, back-breaking pace. Do we also maybe live in somewhat of a similar culture to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians and to the Israelites? One that never stops producing, buying, selling, striving. A culture that has an insatiable need to produce more bricks with less and less straw. Who or what are the pharaohs in your own life? Or are you a pharaoh sometimes? Who are the ones that cry out to you, lazy, more straw, more bricks? Do we ever confuse their demands with God's expectations for us? Do we ever confuse their oppressive yokes with Jesus's yoke that he promises is easy and light? I know I do. Back to the story. Because of the crushing weight of Pharaoh's demands, the Israelites groan and cry out, and Yahweh is the God who hears. So Yahweh hears them, and he commits to delivering them. In Exodus chapter six, verse seven, God says this, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. We have a God who delivers us and brings us to freedom. If we fast forward a bit in the Exodus story, this is after the plagues, after the parting of the Red Sea, and after a short period of wandering in the wilderness, we get an even more clear picture of how different Yahweh is than Pharaoh. We see this when God provides manna for the Israelites in the wilderness. Again, the Israelites are crying and grumbling, something they do very well. I think we do too. Um, and God, again, he graciously hears them. And instead of punishing them or yelling at them, God rains down, the text says, he rains down bread from heaven for them. So God provides quail and manna. Yahweh is a God of abundance, whereas Pharaoh is a God of scarcity. There's never enough with Pharaoh. He's never satisfied. But Yahweh has very particular instructions for how the gathering of the manna and the quail should go down. God doesn't want the Israelites to greed or to hoard what God provides for them. And he expects them to practice the Sabbath. He instructs them to gather twice as much on the sixth day so that they can rest on the Sabbath. But of course, surprise, surprise, the Israelites don't listen. We see this in verse 27, which says, Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather manna, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. 
That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people, except those who went out like they weren't supposed to, so the people rested on the seventh day. Can you imagine how foreign and difficult and how weird that must have been for the Israelites to go from being slaves, backbreaking, unrelenting work, that's all they knew, to go from that to a God who not only provides manna and quail for them, but who graciously commands them to rest. What a radical paradigm shift. In Egypt, the Israelites were treated as machines who had no limits, rather than as God's precious and beloved children, rather as the recipients of God's covenant faithfulness. No wonder, since they were remembering Egypt, no wonder they went out on the seventh day to gather manna and to keep working. That's all they had ever known. They were probably going through an identity crisis. Who were they if they weren't making bricks? Who were they if they weren't working? Can we relate to the Israelites? Can you relate? Is it just me? Is it ever hard to live as God's holy and set-apart people in a world that idolizes hurry, productivity, efficiency, security, and control? Are we tempted like the Israelites to go out on the seventh day and collect manna, toilet paper, disinfectant wipes, to ensure a future and security for ourselves and for our families if we have them? Do we cram as much as we possibly can into every single seventh day or every single day of the week to ensure that we have enough and to ensure that we are enough? Does it seem almost impossible to renounce the ways of Pharaoh and to accept the countercultural ways of our God who rests on the seventh day and invites us, his people, to do the same? Do we trust Yahweh enough to give him control of our lives every single day? To let God be God and recognize that we are not God? To receive his gracious gift of Sabbath that reminds us of the truth that we are not machines, that we have limits, that we are God's precious children? To be clear, I'm no saint at any of this, but these are questions that race through my head as I read Exodus, as I read God's word. God is clearly reordering the needs, desires, wants, and even identities of the Israelite people through the practice of the Sabbath. Who knew the Sabbath could be so powerful? Alan Fadling, the author of our book, An Unhurried Life, writes, Sabbath requires surrender. If we only stop when we are finished with all our work, we will never stop because our work is never completely done. If we refuse rest until we are finished, we will never rest until we die. Sabbath dissolves the artificial urgency of our days 
because it liberates us from the need to be finished. Our allegiance is first to God, not to our to-do list or our appointment calendar. Wow, powerful. That quote reminds us that like the Israelites, our allegiance is not to Pharaoh, the unrelenting taskmaster who we can never do enough for. No, our allegiance is to Yahweh, a God of freedom, delight, and rest. So if Sabbath keeping is new for you, you might be wondering at this point, okay, Michelle, I see the Sabbath was important for the Israelites, good for them, um, and maybe I could see how it's important for us today. But what does it actually look like on the ground in 2020, in the world we're living in? One way that is sometimes helpful for me to think about it is imagine if you've been working for weeks and um, really hard on a project at work or really hard on a remodel at home or you've been really studying hard for finals and then there's that feeling you get when you're finally done and that sigh of relief, that feeling like, oh, I can finally rest and be free um, from whatever was chaining you to work super, super hard for a long time. What if, as a part of God's natural rhythm that he created, you could experience through Sabbath that gift of freedom and relief every single week? That's a glimpse of what keeping a Sabbath could look like. I first discovered the power of the Sabbath after college in my first real job. Well, I had three jobs at the time. And I was already experiencing burnout at the very young age of 22. And coming face to face with workaholic tendencies. I worked seven days a week and felt like I was driven by a motor. I was afraid of failure. My friends started to notice that I had lost a lot of my joy and was living to work rather than working to live. I felt like I was trying to earn my worth through working harder and accomplishing more. I was working myself to the bone in service to God, but was feeling incredibly distant from God and increasingly hopeless. I was uncertain of God's goodness or his presence with me during this time. Of course, there was no quick answer or quick fix um, for that season. But our God is abundant and generous and creative. And despite my resistance and refusal to rest, God did not give up on me or leave me alone in Egypt. God used several people to break through um, my hopelessness and my workaholism. And throughout a period of several years, um, did a lot of healing in my heart and in my identity. Though of course, I still struggle. One of the practices in that season that God used to shape me and form me in new ways and to root me more deeply in him and his love was, of course, Sabbath. So for me, Sabbath is so freeing because it forces me to remember that I am not God. I am, a, yeah, I have so many limits. I'm a human. And ceasing work for a day every week really helps me not take myself so seriously. Um, I had to learn, you know what, it's gonna be fine if I don't answer that email, 
the world will go on, people will be okay. Hashtag humbling. Sabbath is very, very humbling. And it's important to know that the actual day you choose to Sabbath, whether it's Saturday or Sunday or a weekday, that's not as important as having a regular rhythm of setting aside a day each week to be holy and special and set apart unto God. My Sabbath day, for example, is on Mondays. I love the freedom of a whole day to rest and to delight in God and God's creation and to enjoy my friends and my family. A day to cease productivity and to remember that I'm not what I do and I'm not defined by my accomplishments or anything that I could produce. It is a day where I'm invited to rest in a God that says that I am enough. A day where I remember the truth that whether I were to never do one more thing for God, God could never love me more or love me less than he already does. And I want to emphasize, keeping a Sabbath is not about rules or legalism or do's or don'ts. It's not about that. We've really missed the point in our culture if we've made it about that. No, Sabbath is about receiving our identity as God's beloved children, embracing, feasting, delighting in what God has given us, our family and our friends, and delighting in God's beautiful creation in nature. For me, this looks like going to the beach, going on walks with friends, baking, um, writing cards to friends maybe I haven't seen in a while, visiting family members, um, going on a hike, what else, reading, playing a board game, anything where I can really connect with myself, with God, or others. Oh, and then TV, we gotta talk about TV. I love TV, but on a Sabbath day, I try my best not to watch it as much because I found that though I love it, it's not truly restful and it doesn't give me the freedom and the hope and the joy um, that so many other things do. And even in seasons where I'm not really sure where God is or how I feel about God, I practice the Sabbath because that connects me to God no matter how I'm feeling. And I forgot a quote, but I want to say this quote by Abraham Heschel. He is a Jewish theologian and he puts it beautifully. The Sabbath is a day for life. I'm gonna repeat that one more time. The Sabbath is a day for life. So Sabbath is about life-giving things, things that bring you life. Now, I've, I'm a positive person, so I've been really positive about the Sabbath. But don't get me wrong, keeping a Sabbath is never easy, and it requires intentionality, restructuring my whole week, and having boundaries. And people love it when you're available all the time. They do. So when you start having a Sabbath and maybe you gotta say no sometimes, people might not like that, but it's worth it, I promise you. The more intentional we are in setting ourselves up to receive God's love and setting apart a time as holy unto God, the more we can be open to receive God's rest and peace and love. So these are some things that have worked for me. 
But I recognize we all have very different situations, families, jobs, and lives. And God is gracious to meet you and to meet me wherever we're at. I will emphasize one more time. It's not a day to be legalistic, but it's a day to enjoy God and his creation. As Jesus says, when the Pharisees were getting on him for healing on the Sabbath, Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So we can follow Jesus as our guide in honoring the Sabbath without being consumed by rules and by legalism. And that's really good news. What do you and your family do to make the Sabbath special? What might God be inviting you into to set apart a time as holy to him? Going to church is always a great idea and a great way to gather with fellow believers, to worship God, to be encouraged, to grow in your faith. Eating a special meal with your family can be a great idea on the Sabbath. I know Sheena and her family always go to lunch after and spend quality time as a family. And I think that's a great idea. If you have kids, maybe you could start with 20 to 30 minute increments where you unplug from your phones and your computers and your video games and you do something where you can just connect as a family. Maybe a picnic or stargazing or a hike or just plain catch. Whatever allows you to connect and be with your family and with God. Or maybe you really hate doing the dishes. Why not have one day a week where you just say, this is my Sabbath and I'm not going to do the dishes today. Again, that might require restructuring, doing a bit more dishes on another day. So then you can take this day and have it set apart um, and be holy. Social media, giving that up for a day or just taking a rest and a pause from it could be another great idea. But you all are incredibly creative and God I'm sure we'll be nudging you and helping give you different ideas of how you can practice the Sabbath in your own way and in your own context. So as we've discussed, Sabbath is a healing gift of freedom and delight that God has given us. It is a beautiful glimpse into what endless communion with God can look like one day. In light of the eternal rest that we have to look forward to, let us continue to experience glimpses of that rest in the here and now through the practice of intentional Sabbath. As we end our time together this morning with a worship song, I invite you during the song to pray and to ask God if there's any lies that you are believing that are holding you back from taking a Sabbath, from taking some period of rest and time away to be with God and to cease working. What is holding you back? Let God show you or reveal, reveal to you if there's anything specific and just bring that all to God and wrestle with him. And then I invite you to ask God if there's any new practice that he's inviting you um, to do on your Sabbath in this season. So to close our time, please pray with me. God, we thank you that you are a God 
who created on the six days and you rested on the seventh. And we are created in your image. God, we thank you that you are not like Pharaoh. You do not force us to work and to work. You are not a taskmaster, God. You are a loving Father who invites us to rest, who invites us to remember that we are human and that we have limits. So God, would you free us from any chains or lies that are holding us captive to Egypt, captive to Pharaoh's ways, and would you free us so that we can receive the peace and the delight that you are offering us. And we love you, Jesus, and we pray all of this in your name. Amen. As we normally do each week, I invite you to please stand wherever you are, except if you're in the car, of course, and I'm going to bless us with words from the prophet Isaiah, found in chapter 58, verses 13 through 14. So I invite you to put your hands out in a posture of receipt. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it not going your own ways, serving your own interests, or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. Go in peace, Living Spring. See you next week. <laughs>